This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. Hey, everybody. Welcome to WP Think Tank number three. And just like that, we're up and about. I'm just going to make sure this uh, the actual YouTube video stream is working on the WPThinkTank.com uh, website because I had all sorts of problems this morning starting a uh, Google Hangout on air. Google keep making it harder and harder to use their products. <laughs> anyway, that's a whole other conversation. So hopefully the video will be streaming very soon on the live website. Um, today on the panel, hey, Matt Medeiros has just walked into the room. Hey, Matt, how you doing? Hey, what's up? Excellent, excellent. Uh, we have Tom Wilmot from Human Made. We have Shane Perlman from Modern Tribe. We have Miriam Schwab from Luminea. We have Matt Medeiros from The Matt Report. There we go. Look at that. Beautiful. Just turn myself off there. Um, and we have Alex King from Crowd Favorite and Scott Basgard from Human Made. I think he's on dad duty at the moment and I gave him extremely late notice so he probably won't be joining us. And I think Jake Goldman um, is off inventing rockets for NASA and he can't join us either. So um, it looks like it might be a smaller crew the, today. Uh, but nonetheless, we're going to knock it out of the park. So. WP Think Tank, what is this all about and why are we here? Well, um, we're here because, for those that don't know, I host a podcast, and so does Matt, Matt Medeiros at The Matt Report. We host podcasts, and I kind of had this moment where I'd get to the end of a podcast and I'd hit stop on the, on the Skype. I'd hit stop record on Skype, and then the conversation would just keep going for ages. And I thought, hang on, I think there's some hunger for sort of more long-form conversation about things where we're not really restrained by the the time constraints of a podcast. So I just put an email out to a few buddies and said, hey, I want to do this kind of think tank panel discussion about the future of WordPress and the challenges and the opportunities that it poses. Who wants to join in? And I was very fortunate that a bunch of people who are far more intelligent and interesting than me said, yes, they'd come and join me. So uh, here we are. This is number three. Um, and let's hope uh, that uh, we don't suffer third album syndrome and go down in a ball of flames. Um, the first time we crashed Rackspace's server, which was excellent. The second time, Matt Mullenweg kindly put us on WordPress VIP. So we're on rock-solid servers now, and we should be good. There are currently 50 people in the chat widget um, already. So um, that's good to see. I think last time we had about 400. Let's see if we can beat that. Okay. The topics that we're going to be looking at today, again, I put this out to our audience and to our panelists, and uh, there are some interesting topics that we're going to be talking about. And before we get into the topics, I'm just going to give each panelist sort of 30 seconds to say who they are, where they're from, and what they're doing here, and what they have to do with WordPress, or if they're just lost and they've found their way into the room. Let's start with Alex King from Crowd Favorite. Hi, everybody. I'm Alex King. Um, I founded what is now the Denver office of Crowd Favorite um, since our merger uh, earlier this year. Uh, developer, designer, and friends with a lot of these folks, and uh, looking forward to talking more with some of the folks I don't know quite as well. Cool. Uh, the Denver office of Crowd Favorite is that is that what it's? It's no longer founder of Crowd Favorite. You're founder of the Denver office of Crowd Favorite. Hey, <laughs> there are big things on the horizon, aren't there? Yeah, when you start bringing all these companies together, everybody has to start taking founder off their title. Otherwise, it's a little awkward. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Matt Medeiros, who are you? What are you doing? Where are you from? And why are you here? 
Sure thing. I have no idea why I'm here, but uh, I run a podcast called Matt Report. I run a services agency called Slocum Studio, and we just recently got into the crazy game, like a lot of the folks uh, on this panel, of launching our first commercial plugin. So it's been really fun, uh, turbulent ride the last few weeks. Awesome. Um, Miriam Schwab from Illuminae, how are you doing? Why are you here, and what are you up to? Well, I'm here because thank you for inviting me, and I like to talk about WordPress when I can, and um, I manage a company in Jerusalem, Israel, called Lumina, and we design and develop WordPress sites and plugins and application type sites for our clients um, in Israel and around the world. You're, you're so humble, Miriam. You're also one of the organizers of uh, about 84 word camps across uh, Europe. <laughs> <laughs> Right, I forgot about that. <laughs> your, Not your exactly. Out, your output and productivity is uh, beyond most human beings. Shane Pellman yeah. from Modern Tribe. Uh, for those of you that don't know, who are you? Why are you here? What are you up to? What do you do? Sure, hi folks. Uh, my name is Shane Pellman. I'm one of the partners at Modern Tribe. We're kind of a freelance collective digital agency working on a lot of projects for large brands, everybody from Microsoft to eBay. Uh, we also have a line of commercial WordPress plugins, the events calendar. Actually, we just hit our millionth download Woo in the last few weeks, so broke a million, stoked. And, uh, and we also do a lot of talking and thinking about the freelance lifestyle. That's awesome. Um, I, you know, I, uh, without pumping your tires up too much, uh, Shane was out in Australia recently. We hung out and had dinner, and I was saying to him, um, when I started freelancing, he was one of the first people I started following because I was just blown away at, like, the amount of free stuff you were giving away about being a freelancer. I was like, dude. And it was kind of like my introduction to the WordPress open source kind of philosophy. It's like everyone was so sharing, and I kind of locked onto you when you first started out. So thank you, Shane, for publishing all that useful information and having an impact on my life. Yeah, uh, Tom. Freelance.tri.be. We share a lot of free resources just for that. Cool. Freelance.tri.be. I'll try and uh, stick a link to that stuff in the show notes after the uh, recording. Tom Wilmot from Human Made, who is systematically uh, trying to employ as many people as Crowd Favorite and Ten Up. Uh, Tom, that's impossible. <laughs> who are you? What are you doing? What are you up to? And why are you here? Um. So and I guess I run Human Made, which is a uh, you know like everyone else here, is a client services and WordPress product company. Um, we're about 15 people now, um, spread out all over the world. Um, I'm here because you know I mean I've got a huge vested interest in the future of WordPress, but also um, it's my passion as well. I'm really interested in the future of WordPress and in being part of that future. So it's like a huge privilege and and pretty exciting to be able to talk about it with you know such a all-star cast. Um, yeah. <laughs> An all-star all cast. Excellent. Uh, for those that don't know, my name is Troy Dean. I'm from Video User Manuals and WP Elevation. We essentially try and help WordPress freelancers and consultants run a better business and give them the tools to do that. Um, and we also do a bit of client services and very excited to announce that the new QuickBooks blog is now launched and live and we developed that and we're very proud of it. Um, yeah, it's one of the, our largest uh, international clients that we've landed, so uh, that was fun and games. Uh, and I am the host of WP Think Tank just because, you know, I didn't have enough on my plate and I thought I'd put something else together because I'm a little bit crazy. Okay, so some of the things that we're going to be talking about today, if you remember last episode, we spoke a lot about enterprise solutions for WordPress. So Tom Wilmot floated, I'm just going to give you an overview of some of the things we're going to talk about, then we're going to go deep. Uh, Tom Wilmot floated the idea of instead of 
you know, last last episode we spoke a lot about enterprise. Uh, this episode talk about the future of future of the long tail um, in, in WordPress is about end-to-end -end experiences. So that is centrally hosted end-to-end -end business solutions based on WordPress. Something like Obox Instant, for example. Um, Happy Tables is an example of this. Um, you know, think of a hosted WooCommerce solution. Uh, so where you don't have to install WordPress and install a bunch of plugins and themes and get something up and running. You literally just push a button and a solution pops out of the box. We're going to be talking about that. We are going to be talking about training resources. Even though Jake Goldman's not on the call, he did want to talk about training resources. Obviously. It's something I'm very passionate about with the video user manuals plugin, so we will touch on that. And also, we're going to talk about how the race to the bottom on pricing uh, benefits platforms, not developers. Alex King wrote an interesting article about this recently, which got a bit of uh, um, engagement, uh, for want of a better, cleaner word. And we're going to be talking about um, that in detail as well. And we're also going to be taking your questions. So if you are on WPThinkTank.com, Feel free to join in the conversation in the chat widget, ask some questions, and we will try and get to them uh, as we can. So why don't we start with this race to the bottom uh, benefits platforms, not developers. Alex, do you want to give us a brief overview of what you mean when you say that? Sure. Yeah, it came up uh, recently quite a bit in the iOS development community. Um, a lot of independent developers lamenting the fact that uh, they have a hard time um, making a good salary selling uh, apps in the iOS app store. And uh, you know, this all came about uh, before, uh, before the iPhone, software prices were three to four times what they uh, seem to average now. Uh, and iPhone apps came out and they were just a few bucks each and kind of uh, drove the pressure, uh, pricing pressure on everybody um, down so to the point where most apps now that are launching are free with various in-app purchases to unlock them. Um, developers have traditionally lamented the lack of uh, trials, which would then allow people to, you know, be more comfortable paying higher prices, etc. And um, these folks talked about this for quite a while, and it made me think a lot about the WordPress community. Uh, because um, the WordPress open source uh, project has always um, put a lot of resources behind um, making freely available solutions um, available to everyone, uh, helping publicize them, things like that. Um, but it's been sort of an uphill battle to create commercial products um, for the WordPress platform. And you know, when you zoom back and look at this, you see that um, the more free stuff that's out there, you know, the more people can do without having to um, pay for commercial products, the better it is for the platform and for the users of that platform. Um, it's not necessarily better for the developers. And there are a bunch of arguments to be made about um, how commercial products uh, in the long term um, typically offer a better experience for their customers because they have actual support behind them and things like that. But um, it's also true that there are lots of alternative uh, monetization uh, options out there 
that have come out. There's been the various subscription models. There's the um, take a bunch of VC money, offer everything for free, and hope that you can make ends meet some point in the future model. But all of these things um, have taught consumers that they can expect a whole lot of stuff for free. And so people that are trying to stick with kind of the traditional, I'm going to you know, charge you X for Y product, uh, they're finding that that model is a lot more difficult uh, to succeed with than it was, say, five or ten years ago. Alex, let us know when we can disagree with you. I'm, I'm <laughs> op open it up. All right. Um, All right, the, the gloves are on early. <laughs> no, I, there's nothing wrong with what he's saying. Um, I think it's just a lot of nuance to it. So, first of all, you're right. The more proliferation of, and I'm going to say good free content, because you put a ton of free garbage out there, all you do is piss off your users and people hop platforms. So it's not, it's not just like, oh, look, WordPress has the most plugins in the world. That doesn't actually mean anything if people try 10 in a row and go, like, none of this stuff works. So I think there's true. But also, like, I remember, I think I was actually sitting next to you, uh, 2010 WordCamp SF. Uh, I don't remember. The guy who wrote The Year Without Pants, Scott something, I don't remember his last Scott Birkin. Birkin. He got up on stage, and he said, I have a problem, and I need you to fix it. I make money off my website. And for years, I never touched it. I never updated anything. And then I got hacked, and I lost a bunch of money. So I went to the community. I went to people, and I'm like, I got hacked. What do I do? And everybody said, well, do you update? And he's like, no, why would I do that? And they're like, well, there's your problem. You just need to update, and then you won't get hacked, and you should be okay. And he's like, so I just started hitting update, 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 until I started running this problem where I was using free plugins, and I couldn't, like, half the time I hit update and take my site down because some developers working in their garage on their free time making, you know, some good updates and some bad updates. And he's like, no, I'm trapped. I'm trapped because if I don't hit update, I'm going to get hacked or ddos or something horrible is going to happen. I'm going to lose money. But if I do hit update and it's not from somebody I trust, well, they're going to take my site down too. So to me, there's a difference between somebody who's building a site that, you know, losing quality doesn't affect it versus the world of people out there who actually need to make money and depend on quality. And he said it. He said, I would gladly pay for anybody who solves the solution. So to me, like, yeah, you can have a lot of free stuff out there, but if the quality isn't there, a lot of people are willing to pay for quality. Um, it's I just got to solve the right problem. I think the point that I, uh, what, what, the point that I got from Alex's article was that WordPress, I, I think, I mean, my, my experience was when I first started using WordPress, the plugin repository was like the clouds had parted and, and heaven had just opened up. It was like this unbelievable playground of stuff that I could use and tinker with and get support from from developers. And I can tell you categorically, after speaking to so many people on the podcast, the, the experience was the reason that they start, the reason they stayed using WordPress when they started using it the reason that they kept using WordPress is because the path it was the path of least resistance. They could get something up, and the plugin architecture made extens made you know extending it really easy. And I believe that a lot of developers have come to WordPress and brought a lot of clients to WordPress because of 
the the plugin repository. I, I think that's been a huge factor in that. <clears throat> so I think the point that Alex is making is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that WordPress has definitely benefited from this, you know, free functionality. Um, uh, but the but you know, I, I think the challenge is that developers are still trying to work out how to sustain themselves because of the competition around this functionality because there is so much stuff amazing available for free like the events calendar plugin for example and I'm not going to pump up your tires Shane but I used this the other day on a little website that I'm building for our body corporate committee and it's the free version does exactly what I want it to do and just saved me probably two weeks of programming because I'm a bit of a numpty when it comes to developing and it would have taken me at least two weeks to figure that out even to start planning it so so you know I just can't get that solution with any other platform so WordPress as a platform benefits because of the mass of people using it but I think a lot of developers are still trying to work out how to sustain themselves so let me let me ask you guys based upon what you just said Alex let me ask you a question do you want to go first go for it yeah I want I want to ask you a question about your plugin which is um, would you have such a robust free solution if the WordPress community did not have such uh, such pressure, like it, if the distribution through the plugin repository was not so valuable. No, it, it, that's you're you're totally right. Uh, in fact, it, this, let me turn this question around and ask you guys. So we're looking at the next iteration of our tickets platform, and we're having a huge internal debate right now, which is. Well, we don't have a free version of our ticket stuff right now, but we've been wondering, would we get further traction, a much larger audience and greater conversions, both economically but as well as quality, if we release a simpler free version on .org and move that portion freemium as well? Um, for exactly the reason you're saying, it's, it's if I had a million people using it, testing it, engaging it, giving feedback on it, and then only a small portion of them converting economically, but it's enough as a small portion to make it sustainable for a lifestyle. Um, there's a lot of power of freemium in that way. And I think, I mean, I think also going back to like one of the original premises of Alex's article, which was kind of what we've seen in the iOS community, like that is basically the model that modern successful indie developers are taking. Give away app for free, upsell some kind of more expensive version like via an app purchase. The only people that really seem to be making money in iOS selling paid up front are like hugely mass market things like games from and that even that is like a few people making most of the money. Yeah, wasn't there some I read some statistic that you know the 80-20 rule? Well I read a statistic that eighty percent of the mm -hmm. revenue in the app store doesn't come from twenty percent of the developers. It actually comes from twenty development yeah. companies doing 80% of the revenue through the iOS app store. Yeah, and it's people like EA, Hotcap, like the really big game houses mostly. I think there are a couple of caveats to that though. I think like really niche software you can still sell for a high price and people are going to pay that price and find it because there aren't free alternatives. I think another big problem we've got in the WordPress like plugin and theme ecosystem that is different to iOS is that we're selling to developers, not to consumers. And developers are savvy. Like one, they know that they they probably know about the free stuff. They probably have got the skills to like take that free stuff and hack it together. 
So you're fighting an uphill struggle against them to even convince them that you know what you're selling them is worth them, worth anything to them because they're like, wow, I can build this myself. You know. You know, though, Tom, that's that's changed for us in particular because we we run surveys and so we try to understand who's buying for the paid users. And over the last year, literally, that shifted. Where two years ago, in our surveys, like nearly 70, 80 percent of people were at least part-time what we call internally as implementers. Mm -hmm. now, I, I wouldn't call them developers necessarily, but they know enough to, you know, make their brother a website. Or, but there's somebody they're not doing it for themselves; they're doing it for someone else. We um, call them web assemblers. Yeah. Same yeah. People. <laughs> um, and and just. Just now, one of the guys on our team started running new reports and running surveys again, and that's changed. Like we're nearly—I'll look it up later after—but I think it was something like 40 to 45 percent of people are now self-service, mm -hmm. small business owners, church volunteers, um, a lot of that stuff. And so it's interesting to see as WordPress is reaching larger and larger audiences. People are trying to install and interactively paying for services and support. So Shane, can I can I just position that question back to you about your internal debate of going freemium versus paid? If you didn't have the event calendar with a million downloads and you were faced with launching the ticket uh, plugin or service today, would that decision be easier for you? In other words, would you look oh, at the all the in time and investment? Down. Okay. There's no point. Like, our debate is just like our debate is we already have this huge freemium community. Is it worth building another? Like, does that actually help, or do we already have all that traffic, and therefore we'd be giving, we're losing conversions by giving away free things? Well, so, you know. so you would go freemium? Without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. What have you done, Matt? I'm sorry, I haven't. I know that you've just launched a plugin. I haven't been across the the, the model of the launch behind it. What, what what's your strategy been? Yeah. So right, I mean, right now we're just in a a, a paid closed beta, um, only because we. I mean, we've been doing themes for two years, and it's been fairly good for us. Um, but knowing what we know from the support side of things, that we weren't going to do all this investment into the plugin, and then because of what the plugin can do, which uh, you know can work on any theme, we're we're afraid of that support cost of working on any theme, right? We're not necessarily marketing it in that fashion. We just know that developers and implementers can use it on any theme. So we didn't want to go, we want to build a sustainable software company. And just like I'm planting my feet firmly in the ground saying I can't go freemium because I just don't know what to expect yet. Um, so I'm just trying to, in the marketing terms, is just uh, fortifying that message and saying, look, we think it's worth an hour of your development time. Like if you charge 125 bucks an hour, we're just saying that this plugin is worth one hour of your time. And you might go out and resell what this plugin does for a thousand bucks, for five thousand bucks. We're just asking for one hour of your time, and that's sort of our that's sort of what we're planted firmly. And so far, we've only had one person come back and say this is worth twenty bucks, <laughs> uh, not one hundred and twenty-five bucks. Um, but I don't know if I would go freemium only because you know it's to me that's just a whole different animal to to wrangle. And we do it now with freemium themes. All of our pro themes are free in .org. And we've seen the power of like being in the .org directory and being featured on the homepage of the theme site, uh, the theme page, and that traffic. It's awesome. Um, it's powerful. 
Um, but it's also something that once you're not there and just battling in that sort of marketplace, for lack of a better term, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just, it's not a decision that I think we want to make right now in going freemium. Alex, I want to look at Sorry, go, can go I ask Matt a question? So the biggest thing I'd say you're missing out on there isn't necessarily like the ability to sell it to a much bigger market, but like, aren't you missing out a lot on in terms of like the data you would collect from the all of the free users, like how they used your plugin, especially given what it does? I would think seeing it what used in wild would be hugely interesting. The, the, all the terms on .org. Basically, I mean, you can opt in, collect, and and in a certain subset. Even just via support, I think it, you would collect enough data just from the support requests that came through in terms of how people you know, yeah, so are coming into, right? Like, right. So, but I mean, how? My only fear is, and again, it, I mean, this is why we're still in that closed beta. Is we don't, you know, what happens when we? It is giving away for free, and we just can't keep up with either the support demands. Um, because people can build fairly complex sites, right, and do some, you know, pretty complex things with this plugin. I'm afraid that it's just going to take us down a, a rabbit hole that we won't be able to dig ourselves out of. And what I've seen on .org in many instances is the fact that I don't want to say I don't want to get into this argument, but just like the review system and the rating system is very yeah. scary, right? Because mm -hmm. the, the people who will love it are just going to like say, "Hey, this is awesome. This is great." They're not going to go back and leave a review. It's a typical, like, it's a human thing. It's not a .org thing. It's just people will not leave that review. It's the people who just can't work with it are just going to give me that one star and then pound away four or five paragraphs of why this was terrible. Um, and I'm just... I have the opposite experience with that, actually. Like really? our, So we've got a plugin that's got, like, a million-plus downloads, and we have a single text link in the footer of the plugin page, and it just says, hey, if this is working for you, um, you know, rate on the plugin directory. We've got like 600 plus five-star reviews, a, few, a handful of one-star reviews. Yeah, I, so I would say it's, there's not a lot of middle ground, though. Like, no, there's no middle ground. It's either five-star or one-star, and every so often somebody lands in the middle. So, so let, let's take a moment to think about why the review system and why the number of support threads resolved in the last two weeks or month or whatever, why are all of those things exposed? Right, it's all to provide pressure on the developers to provide free support and increase the quality of these free plugins and things. Right, it's to improve the platform. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. Can I just can I just chime in here for a second? Um, I'm just looking at the. Uh, I, first of all, Matt, I must agree with with Tom. We've had a really good experience with the review system, uh, the white label CMS plugin for those that don't know just allows you to basically rebrand and white label WordPress admin. Um, that's had, I don't know how many downloads, but you know, a couple of hundred thousand downloads. Uh, we've got like four pages here of really good reviews, you know, a couple of paragraphs. Some of these reviews go on about why the plugin is so great. And in, in terms of Shane's point, in the back of this plugin, if the video user manuals plugin is not installed, we will show you a uh, we'll sh we'll show you a an opt-in for some free ebooks to teach you how to run a better business as a WordPress developer, and then that goes into an autoresponder sequence which upsells you to the video user manuals plugin, and that is pretty much the only source of leads and sales for the video user manuals plugin. And without the white label CMS free plugin, I, we wouldn't have a business. That has been the thing that has has got you know 95% of our sales for the video user manuals plugin. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, and I don't want, and and then of course, uh, my, of course, our experience is only from the th themes in .org, which upsells and call to actions are a whole heck of a lot more controlled than they are in the plugin side of things, just because of the review process. I'd I, I think, I think one, I think the idea with a free plugin is if you can, I mean, if you can make a free plugin that doesn't have many moving parts, you'll minimize, but 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 add some value, you'll minimize the support load. Um, and if it's a, if it's kind of a, the white label CMS free plugin for us was something that we retrofitted to our strategy after we launched video user manuals. My business partner actually said we need a free plugin to get some traction and build an audience, and he came up with the idea for white label CMS. And it doesn't have many moving parts. It's basically just a form. You upload some images, put in some stuff, hit publish, and you're done. And it's a nice fit for our paid plugin. Um, Alex, can I, you know, can I just pose this argument? That it's up to that you know it, when any market becomes saturated, the the cream you know there's the saying that the cream rises to the top, or in your case the cream rises to the top. Um, sorry, bad joke. Um, <laughs> but um, but you know isn't isn't it isn't it up to us to as developers to to be smart and to work out a way to monetize and to work out a way to to you know, sustain ourselves because because somebody else just will if we don't. Yeah, in in my post, um, I say that you know, as a community, a, a tech community, we make fun of uh, industries who uh, don't adapt and update themselves um, as things change. Right, the music industry, for example, yeah. you know, uh, things like that. Uh, newspapers, and I think software developers are in danger of being in that same group, right? If uh, if you're not willing to explore alternative monetization strategies, um, look at at other ways of um, recouping value out of uh, the things that you build, um, you know you're not going to be successful. Like the the old approach of this is the price, and this is what you get, and then here's your support. Like that's a a model that's, um, it's it's on the, the this end of the slope at this point. Do you really feel that something like SaaS is is a viable alternative, or I mean, it just has all of its own problems as well? I think that every every product has its own different complements that. Have potential monetization options. Um, you know, for something like uh, your uh, events plugin, for example, um, it might be, you know, partnering with um, people that run venues or things like that, and taking cuts of the uh, of the tickets. Or you know, th there's there's other ways to pull the value out of software rather than charging a, a sticker price for it. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, there's there's affiliate backend stuff, which we've seen a lot of people do. We've we've got a plug-in with Eventbrite, where we mm -hmm. have a percentage of the ticket sales, um, where you know the the revenue off the relationship is as valuable as as the sales and the ticket itself. Uh, and that's because we're solving two problems: we're helping the user, but Eventbrite wants new business. Yeah, I, I'm not trying to argue that. Um... Yeah. Software is a dying industry. I'm saying that the uh, the direct sales to consumer model is 
a lot harder than it used to be. Can, yeah. Can I, can I, out of curiosity, what, what I guess Crowd Velo, what what the new organization you guys are building are going to do with the product lines that you have, or is that not something that's been figured out? Well, um, I mean, you could you could look at what we've got now, which is we've got um, Ad Sanity, which is still on its own website that you know the Pixel Jail guys originally built. We've got Ramp and Carrington build um, on the the crowd favorite website. We've got um, the announcement uh, today that we're going to be uh, working with iThemes to bring um, help them uh, create some enterprise products and and bring those out and say that you know hey this doesn't seem like one cohesive strategy and I, I certainly wouldn't argue with you there. <laughs> 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 There's no but. Walk <laughs> away. Hopefully, hopefully that doesn't uh, that doesn't appear to be uh, you know the goal, right? That's that's the the steps along the way, and that's where we are right now. Well, but because I'll I'll say one of the things that I've always as as a development team, we've always found a lot of value in your products, but a lot of the products that we've at least the ones that we're really familiar with. Were, were tool sets, um, with the exception of some of the themes, theme extensions. But even those were very develop-oriented. Um, yeah. That, as opposed to something that was, you know, completely consumer-oriented. Do you think that has something to do with with the experiences that you've had? The fact that we haven't ever had any consumer-oriented plugins. Well, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I understand. I mean, I'd argue consumer plugins would be even worse, not better. Like right. the price pressure on consumer stuff is even worse. I right. I think that like it's even. I think it's worse than than Alex is saying. Really, like I don't necessarily think it's that software is a that like selling software is a dying industry. Or well, any or I do think it is, but I think that really the problem it, it goes deeper than that. And I think it is the same as I think this is the thing that it shares with iOS most closely, which is like there was just a, an unstable gold rush market at the beginning where anybody you know there was not really much out there and anybody could just create an iOS app or, or create a plugin and throw it out there and like maybe it wasn't that great, maybe they weren't providing support. But there was enough there was enough demand that people bought it anyway. So like you could be kind of mediocre and do an all right job. Whereas now like you know, there only really needs to be one one good event plugin because everyone can buy that, and so eventually there will only be one or maybe two, but there's not going to be ten, and so it just totally cuts out anybody who isn't at the top, and that that's happening in iOS where there's two million apps, but there's like one or two in each category that everybody buys. Yeah, and I think I mean, the same it's, thing's going to happen in WordPress. It's the same if you go to if you go to Theme Forest or Code Canyon. It's the same. Like there's like you know, 90% of the developers on Code Canyon are selling like five plugins a week, you know, mm. and not and not sustaining themselves. So, it, you know, the, the, this we, we see this happening. And I think, you know, I think Alex, uh, I think Shane makes a point here. I think we need to differentiate what's business to consumer and what's business to business. We sell a plugin that's aimed at WordPress developers. An end user doesn't get much value out of our plugin because it's 24 bucks a month, right? A developer gets value out of it. So we're in the B2B space. The B two C space is really, really hard. I mean, you go to the you go to the the Mac App Store, and you buy Keynote for your Mac for twenty bucks. 
I mean, if you use that thing, you see how powerful Keynote is for 20 bucks? Come on. This is the mentality and the psychology that consumers have when it comes to software. So to spend 50 bucks on an events calendar plugin for WordPress when I can get Keynote for 20 bucks, it just doesn't make sense. There's this disconnect. There's a major disconnect there in expectations and what we're asking them to invest. And I think that's a real problem for if you're selling software to consumers. Miriam, same, you know, Miriam like, is your microphone yeah. working, Miriam? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can I say something? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Karna, I guess it's a female thing. I'm like, oh, I shouldn't interrupt now, but I'm interrupting. Thank you very much for helping me. Um, so, <laughs> in, in a lot of our clients are part of the tech industry in Israel. So I can talk about the tech industry in general and where it's going and what a lot of them are starting to do and particularly with pressure from VCs who at the end of the day want to make money, right? It's moving towards B2B rather than B2C in general because um, like you were all saying in one way or another, if a business can see direct value out of what they're spending money on, they spend 50 bucks and they say, say if, even if, if it uh, makes them 60 bucks, right, they've made $10, $10 on that, that's already an ROI that's justifiable. So um, a consumer, and particularly like a general casual WordPress user, they, they're not going to spend 50 bucks on a, a calendar plugin. So that's possibly the, I don't know if it's wrong, because those people could eventually become the serious WordPress users, and maybe we should look at it as a, a long-term type of funnel where we want to keep those people engaged for when they become more advanced. But um, in the meantime, if we're looking to where to target um, any premium things, software that we're developing, then we need to look to B2C. And in our world, that would be the developers. And I know from my point of view, I am happy to spend money over and over on, let's say, the events calendar plugin or on Gravity Forms, the developer license. Because there's, I'm going to start developing a whole calendar, event calendar thing. No, that's hours and hours of work. They've done a fantastic job. I'm going to spend whatever it is and give my clients a lot of value. And, and you know, that 50 bucks maybe X times that. And the same with Gravity Form. So, um, yeah, that makes the, the, you know, potential market smaller because it's not every one of the millions of WordPress users. It's a serious one. But, um as long as we can prove the value, and I think that's in everything that we sell, um, then people will buy it. And also in terms of competition, I mean, that's the, natu the nature of any market. You know, even if you're an early, you get in early, some people will eventually catch up to you. And, and unless you stay at the top and continuously develop and continuously um, provide more value, then yeah, you will fall. It's like everything. So I don't think there's anything mysterious here or different. It's just business. <laughs> Yeah, we're you're dead on, Miriam. We're in the middle of a, a market maturation cycle. I mean, you, you kind of see most markets have a natural cycle. There's an initial period of innovation where actually most people think you're just crazy, um, and then and then you start having an initial kind of early adopter phase, and then when it hits about 10% of potential market, usually it's this huge inflection point, and then for the same amount of time it took you to saturate about 10%, it takes you the same amount of time to hit the next 90. And during that period, what you usually start seeing is a lot of mergers and acquisitions. You're seeing it in the WordPress service space right now. I mean, you know, Crowd Favorite's a great example, but there's a bunch of other ones. You're, you're, I expect you might start seeing it in the plugin space relatively soon if it's not already happening quietly. You know, we've seen people like um, 
Uh, this guy's out of uh, Minneapolis. Um, just bought Jason's theme shop, uh, 57. Right, I mean, 70, 75 press. Yeah, thank you. So that got acquired. You're starting to see these, these kind of consolidations, which is a normal part of an industry. And then typically there's a domination phase where you're right, a couple of major players really hold down for a while, and then it returns to a disruption phase. So you can even see something like, look, how many people on this call right now are using Slack for team communications? Oh, I was just going to mention that, yeah. Yeah, look, did Slack do something brilliant? Maybe, but I don't feel like, like, was it really that different than HipChat or Skype or any of the other million solutions that did the same? No, they just kind of, they just did it just right in a way with the right marketing and the right stuff where they were able to, or you even just look at Apple versus Microsoft. I mean, they had like 97%. And yet in the last couple of years, what a flop. So you can't, that does happen as, you know, like Miriam said, when people don't keep growing, they don't listen to the customers right, or they get too heavy to pivot nimbly. So, there, there's another example here, though, which is um, that you know, software is somewhat unique in that it's a virtual good. Um, so it's not like you've got um, somebody who's just going to set up shop on every street corner right outside Starbucks and start handing out free coffee, right? <laughs> but that is what happens in the software space, right? <laughs> Some VCs like, I've got enough money to give out free coffee for two years. We're going to see how many users we can get. We're going to do that. And people go out of business, right? The, you, alternative um, business models in software is, is something that we need to be thinking about. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I use the example of pay TV here in Australia. Uh, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like watching the Titanic sink in slow motion because, you know, Netflix announced recently they have 200,000 active subscribers in Australia. I don't know if you know this, but Netflix is not available in Australia. Um, but thanks to um, right, thanks to Unblock Us, you know, we can just uh, we can just you know reroute our IPs, pretend we're in the states or the UK. I've got a Netflix account. At Foxtel, our pay TV channel is like 70 or 80 bucks a month for ads and rubbish programming. What, you know, Netflix cost me 12 bucks a month, right? So um, you, I think you're absolutely right, Alex. We do need to look at alternative business models. Here's an interesting statistic from Matt Mullenweg's um, uh, State of the Word um, presentation where he gave the results of the user WordPress developer and user survey that they sent out. Now get this, 6,800 respondents classify themselves as WordPress developers responsible for about 170,000 websites, charging an average of $50 per hour. That's the kind of the marketplace that we're playing in, right? So one of the things that occurs to me is at 50 bucks an hour, you know, which I think is way too low for the skills and the expertise that we offer our clients, but I think one of the business models that we've certainly been exploring is how we can educate our customers who are developers to get more value out of our products, raise their prices, add more value to their clients so they can become more profitable. So it becomes this, and I know there are some, you know, in the in the in the internet marketing space, this is very popular where, hey, here's some software that you can buy from us, but you're also going to get all of this training and all of these webinars and all of this extra material where we'll show you how to use our software to make more profit, make more revenue, which helps you become more sustainable. That means you're going to be using our software 
over a longer period of time. And the other interesting statistic that I'd love to ask you guys is, what do we think the average, if you're selling plugins to developers, what do we think the average lifespan is of a WordPress freelancer or a small team of Word, like a team of two or three? Because we're pulling some of the stats out of our database that indicate, my gut at the moment tells me from a high level that a WordPress freelancer, believe it or not, in this new space, has a lifespan of about two and a half to three years. And then they either hit the wall or they go and get a job because they can't sustain themselves. I'd be interested to see what kind of, you know, what kind of experience you guys have had. I mean, for interviewing other freelancers for the last two years and seeing all sorts of people starting to move around after the two-year mark, I'd, I'd say you're you're dead on uh, with that with that number. Uh, and just going to work, and you and I speaking about sort of the same topics, going to WordPress meetups up in Boston and Providence, you see it all the time. Like you see the people showing up and they're pumped to, to sell stuff and or sell them sell their services business, and then. You don't see them after a year, or they just say, "Well, I just got a job. It didn't. It didn't really work out." So, yeah. which is which is kind of cool because there's a new audience coming through every couple of years, but there's no longevity. <laughs> yeah. in that right, right. You know? We've got an interesting churn rate. Yeah, Shane, have you got any any data on that? No, we're the same. I I feel like that's changing a little, but it's you know, Jake had that topic on training and education. It's hard for me to separate what that looks like organically without influence to what that looks like when we actually take the time to increase somebody's longevity. Uh, call it artificially or intentionally, however you want. Um, historically, about two years, two to three is, is, yeah. is the life cycle. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they stop freelancing. That means that often they just pivot their business. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes it's due to life cycle. Sometimes it's due to key opportunities. A lot of times we see freelancers like, well, my one biggest client made an offer I couldn't refuse, and we see that a lot. And to me, that's not a freelance fail. It's just you were good enough that somebody came along and made you an, made you a, an attractive offer. And often we'll see those people go back to freelance at the end of that cycle. I mean, we're 14 years into this now. Um, I've seen people come, go, come back, go, and still come back again. Um, I guess about, two to three years three. is a similar amount of time for agency full timers as well, right? Because they in, switch in jobs, you know. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's an industry issue. I yeah. mean, people yeah, change yeah. jobs every two to three years. Yeah. Mm. I do think that, uh, can I just say something about that? I yeah. think that people are, when they come into this uh, into this business and they and they are raring to go, like you said, you know, they're like, yeah, I'm going to build sites and I'm going to work from home and I'm not going to wear pants, you know, like that's looking all that. You know, it's like it all sounds so dreamy um, and they can't sustain themselves uh, for a few reasons. I think that this like entry, raring to go, and then not really knowing how to price, plus needing to price lower in order to get their first clients, it undercuts the whole industry. It actually damages everyone. They can't sustain themselves. I see it with a lot of freelancers here that what happens is they, they should, they, they're they too cheap, so they're like trying to manage, so then they win more business, so they've got like 15 clients all yelling at them at the same time, and then they just, they can't sustain it, and then they burn out, or they really just can't pay their bills, and then they're like, that's it, and they go get a job, and I don't see people coming back from that after, because the burnout is so severe that a lot of people at that point would rather just sit in a cubicle and like say yes boss than have to listen to 15 yelling clients. So um, unfortunately that's how the freelance business goes. I don't know if there's a solution to that. And I just want to address the other thing that you mentioned about trying to sell premium products while helping freelancers do better in their business. And uh, 
again, I can I can only speak from my own point of view, but whenever anyone tries to do that to me, I'm I'm so jaded. I'm just like, either it's going to give me value or it's not. So, like the example that I gave before about gravity forms and like the events calendar plugin, it's like it's a software package unto itself. It would take hundreds, not thousands of hours to code, and I get to provide lots of value and it's and it's really easy to use for my clients. Um, no, like training and that, it, it's not going to speak to me. I don't know what the answer to improving the state of the industry in terms of the sustainability of freelancers who are often the target audience for these types of products. But unfortunately, it's very, very tough. And that's all I have to say about that. Can, can I ask everybody a curiosity question? Because I think Alex is bringing up a really good question, which is, yes, you can make money trying to sell up front and so forth, but we're starting to see a lot of alternative business models. Can you guys share some of the stuff you're seeing or some of the stuff you're trying, what's working, what's not, and maybe we can just give people ideas in terms of the experiments that are happening? Uh, yeah, sure. So the stuff we're doing, I guess we're doing SaaS with Happy Tables, but that's direct to consumer, not all developers. So I think that's kind of a different that's model. That's fine. Um, but yeah, that works well there. It works very well there. You know, a, a, a restaurant owner. Premium band or is that straight? Premium bands, yeah, has a premium band that's pretty generous um, because it's worth us. Like, there's a huge benefit to us in terms of getting a lot of people on the platform. We learn a lot from the, those users, and because it's a fully hosted service, we can track as much data as we want. So that's valuable. Um, other things we do, I think the like backup WordPress is, I guess, our most like normal WordPress plugin that's got some paid extensions. I thought for a bit about what model to use for that, and I, I, I like the kind of central free plugin with paid extensions, kind of the WooCommerce or the uh, Ease Digital Downloads model. Um, I think like in terms of the total spend of a user, you end up with more if you split features out into extensions and sell them all for 10 bucks each rather than you know charging 50 bucks for the whole thing. Um, and users get the feeling that they've picked and chosen the things they want, and they're not paying for things they don't want, which is like nice on their end. So I think if you've just got some like a, like a plugin to sell, that's my kind of favorite model there. Uh, here's an idea for something that's not like directly related to what's going on, but um, what we've done for clients is, uh, and and maybe there's some way to tie in um, some kind of revenue share model for this type of thing, but if, if there's, there's a lot of companies out there that, for them, there could be value to having a free WordPress plugin. Um, you know, somehow helping people tie their service into their site really easily, right? And uh, and often those plugins are pretty simple and straightforward, and also they don't need um, that much support. But first of all, it adds marketing value to the company that now has that WordPress plugin because you know. Um, Millions of people use WordPress and they're looking for plugins and you know they'll hopefully they can find it and then they can find out about this service so it's like a, a way into the third party with a SaaS service um, and if possibly we as WordPress developers can come up with some kind of model where we provide that type of service to other companies where we, we reduce the price of development for the plugin or I don't know I'm just this is like or even for ourselves, we develop a third-party service to use the plugin. I don't know. It's instead of like selling the the plugin directly as a piece of software on its own, use it rather as a marketing lead-in, like you guys were talking about in a way for the premium for something else. Um, that's just something that I, we did recently, and I, it has made me think about that as a possibility for the future. 
Yeah, Alex, do you think do you think there's some merit in making free plugins as a developer as a as a credibility indicator to try and land bigger clients? Um, well, I mean, there's lots of different ways to market yourself. Sure, um, show, showing what you can do is always a good uh, marketing mechanism. Um, as far as uh, Shane's question of you know alternative uh, revenue streams, I mean. We all do stuff on the web. Um, there's a reason why there's so much advertising and sponsorship on the web. It's basically because advertisers are willing to outbid consumers, right? They, we've got a, a product, whether it's content or software or whatever, and the the person that's putting it out there is trying to get as most the the most money that they can for it, and they can get more money from sponsors, from advertisers, than they can for cons um, can from consumers directly, right? People signing up to access the content, right? So, um, there, there are exceptions to this all over the place, but as a general rule, it's why we can go to all these websites and read content for free and suffer through the ads. The, uh, the other um, example I would bring up is automatic, wordpress.com, right? Um, all of the things, you know, they have a huge investment in software, uh, most of which uh, they release for free, and they make all of their money on the hosting service, right? It's, uh, you know, a, an example of monetizing that software in another way. So I... I think there's you, so you've got the advertisers, which is dead on, and then there's variants in that. There's direct ads, there's affiliate, there's partnerships, there's lead capture, and a lot of these like they make real money for us. Like, uh, I mean, we just had an interesting conversation with a startup that's looking to do um, it's a payment gateway, um, and and essentially they've been able to negotiate like backend rates that are interesting enough that. There's the opportunity for us, you know, that, that we were introduced to through WooCommerce, and they were like, hey, these guys live in your town. You should talk to them. Um, and, and there's the opportunity, and who knows, we have to explore it, but that we can make money off the float. And that means that, you know, the average, you know, the average shop owner pays somewhere around 1.9% of credit card fees. That's just normal. Um, and if there's enough volume and you can aggregate it together, you can bargain that down based on volume. Well, there's the opportunity if you're a payment gateway provider or an e-commerce business or some, you know, selling tickets, something that where where you're you're leveraging that for your users. Well, if you bring all your users' volume together, well, suddenly now that actually becomes legitimate. And you can go back and say, look, you know, we've got ten million dollars a month worth of tickets. I don't know, I'm making random numbers up. Don't don't quote me on that. Um, well, suddenly the credit card company is having a very different conversation with you than when you were selling $150 a month. And so there's opportunities in there to, to make money on, on the gap in between. Mm. Yeah, right. hey, <clears throat> no, I was just going to say par partnerships is something that we're definitely uh, exploring with this, either with other agencies, uh, because we know how we use it as an agency, and uh, or going to theme shops and things like that to help extend themes and they don't want to get into the development side. Uh, so that's, that, that is one thing that I'm actually heavily focused on 
and um, you know, again, that's just another another tidbit of of partnerships. Uh, if only you guys were privy to the chat that was going on in the green room here. Uh, it's far more entertaining. Anyway, um, <laughs> hey, we're going to take a short break. Uh, we're going to take about a 10-minute break to you know, use the lavatories, grab yourself a coffee, go start a ticketing business, whatever you need to do uh, in that 10-minute break. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk about end-to-end uh, -end WordPress-based solutions. Think Happy Tables. Think Obox Instant, uh, that that kind of thing, and we're going to be talking about training resources and what that means for you know training your customers if you're a, in the B2B space, or training your clients, or training customer you know end users, customers how to use your product. So we're going to be talking about all of that after the break. Uh, in the meantime, uh, everyone go take a break, do whatever you need to do, and um, and we'll be back uh, very shortly. Welcome back, Groovers. Hey, by the way, just big shout out to Miriam Schwab here, by the way, because what is it, like 4 a.m. where you are right now, Miriam, or something ridiculous? <laughs> no. Like I get to leave it every time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I just, for sympathy, I changed the time, though, you know, clock here. It's 1, one in the morning. It's 5 in the morning. Yeah. But because oh. my kids are on vacation, we're on the most insane schedule that I'm actually really awake this time, so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, you know, because um, we've got people in the UK, I'm obviously here in Australia, it's 10 past 8 in the morning here, and we've got people in uh, Europe. This was like the, seemed like the best time to have this event. Of course, then summertime kicks in at certain places around the world, and I'm either up at 6 or Miriam's still up at 1. So, um, we do try and accommodate everyone. Okay, so, um, but thank you so much for, for uh, putting in the hard yards. All right, now. Training resources. Let's talk about, Jake uh, Goldman suggested that we talk about training resources were his two words. Thanks for the verbose explanation of your suggested topic, Jake. Really appreciate that. Um, so I'm obviously very passionate about training resources, but I, rather than me flap my gums, I think it would be far more interesting if we hear from you guys. So who's got something interesting to say about WordPress training resources? Matt, let's start with you. Let's talk about the Matt Report. Oh boy, um, yeah. So do a lot of talking to other WordPress entrepreneurs. Do uh, you know a membership site uh, where folks can join to have those kinds of discussions? Um, you know, but in terms of you know resources for folks that are learning, uh, you know, freelance services. Uh, I mean, Shane has a, an amazing uh, resource list. Uh, you know, for for Modern Tribe and and folks like that. Um, you know, and just turning to your local WordPress meetup. WordCamps, things like that, are great for folks that, uh, that are learning to, to jump into this stuff, especially business tracks and things like that. And um, yeah, so we spend a lot of time doing that. We spend a lot of time training people on how to use, uh, you know, WordPress and WordPress plugins. And you know, we do a lot through our YouTube channel as well. Um, you know, but really, what it always comes always comes down to for our clients, anyway, is sort of just the, the hands-on stuff. Um, we've tried automating a lot of it, and um, it works for some, but a lot of folks need, just need to have group meetings uh, and <laughs> real slow user interactions and, and drawing things on a whiteboard just so they understand where it's all going. Miriam, how do you, I'm interested to see uh, how you tackle client training or training new staff in WordPress for that matter. Oh, that's a good one. That is Training new staff is more difficult than training clients um, because we have all these processes that are very important to us and we want the staff to follow them and it's, it's, that takes way more time than training clients thanks to the simplicity of WordPress in general. So I'll talk more about clients, I guess. But, um, 
with clients. First of all, sorry, we do I just need, sorry, Graham, I just need to, I just need to sure. point something out here. Shane Perlman has left the building and has been replaced by his dog. So um, this could get oh, Shane Perlman's back. Sorry, sorry, Miriam, go on. Shane, we thought we, we thought you'd been replaced um, by your little dog there, Shane. Yeah, I mean, my dog's actually smarter than I am, so he'd be a good <laughs> Sorry, Miriam, go on. We're talking to Miriam's talking okay. about training staff, uh, training new staff, and training clients in WordPress. So with clients, we do um, implement your video user manuals on all our sites, um, but unfortunately, I'm sorry to say this, but our our clients don't want to do that. They don't want to sit there watching videos. So we try to refer them to it, but in the end, they want us to hold their hands a little bit more. So we have it there so that we can, you know, say, oh, look over there. But um, for every site that launches, we do have like a two-hour training session with uh, the interested parties on the other end, where we feel it's very intensive. We go through the main things, and then we say, okay, go on your way, and you will definitely have issues, and then contact us for those issues. One thing that um, I try to do for client support requests after that point is to not actually talk to the client about it because you could have a whole long philosophical discussion about where the button is. So um, we use Jing a lot, or you can use any screencast software where a client says, "How do I do this?" or "This isn't working," and to fix it plus teach them, we'll do it. Take a screencast, send it to them, and say, "Here you go." And then that way also they can refer to it down the line if they ever need to do so. Jing and that kind of thing is really useful for. Um, holding the client's hand. Um, and then after that, we have a ticket system. On that exact topic, like, what are, what are the skills that you need for your staff members when they start working for you? Like, when you're looking at, basically, like, where what's the baseline as somebody's coming in? And then how do you grow from somebody from wherever they come in to a, a senior person that you want to hold on to forever? This is a question from Lisa in the uh, chat widget, Miriam. Ah, okay. Oh, thanks. Oh, hi, Lisa. Hi. She tweeted to me before. <laughs> um, so, first of all, we want someone with a lot, obviously, a lot of WordPress experience. But well, we have two, a few types of people who work for us. We have the project managers, and we have the developers. So, developers should, you know, have good, proven WordPress development, PhD, and whatever skills. Um, front-end, back-end, whatever it is that we need for them to do. The project managers are a little bit more difficult because um, we don't just need them to know WordPress really well. We need them to be organized and also be able to communicate with clients. Um, just, just re when we price projects, and if a client asks, I'll say to them that 50% of the time that I'm estimating here is talking to you. <laughs> It's really like that, and uh, if that communication goes well, the client's happy and the project goes smoothly. If it doesn't, then uh, you know it's just it's a mess. So um, we need someone who's personable, and unfortunately, it's really hard to tell that before they actually start working with you and with clients. So in terms of like on their resume, we look for you know strong WordPress skills. They've they've built sites. They worked with clients and things like that. Um, and then, you know, and the interview is really important so that we can see what they, how they are in terms of communication. Um, and then after that, the rest they learn on the job. And we spend a lot of time supporting our new employees. And that's um, a really difficult thing because we were talking about the life cycle of employees. And we can spend a year investing in someone in the company to get them up to par, to a place where we feel like, all right, now you can take a project and run with it and we feel okay about it. And then 
a year later they could be gone, right? They could move on for whatever reason. And um, it, it's very difficult from an agency point of view, that whole employee training, retention. And that's, yeah. Miriam, a uh, question from Jafe in the chat window. Um, Tom, you'd be pleased to know Jafe's not working right now. He's watching WP Think Tank. Um, do you create a <laughs> do you create a library of these videos for all clients for future reference, or are the Jing videos that you make too specific? Like, do you make generic ones that you store in a library, or do you just make specific ones for each client? Good question, Jay. It's a very good question. So, actually, for the generic ones, we rely on on your video user manual plugin. Um, because we're just we're not video producers, and it's just it works. It works really well, and it covers the basics. So, um, in terms of an ROI on a plugin, that that's right there. Because rather than having to produce the videos ourselves, and you know, and keep them updated and all that, that plugin does that for us. So that's the generic one. The Jing and the screencasting is for specific needs for specific clients. Sometimes it's for something that the general videos might cover. But um, it, the client's not going to like watch the whole thing. Just you know, just help them and let them get going. Um, and uh, often in a lot of the sites that we build, there's custom functionality, and that's just you know, we don't have a generic video for it. So we need to show them exactly where to go in order to do what they need to do. Cool. Another question, which I think uh, anyone can answer this: When you employ developers. Is there a, we've been using testsforgeeks.com to get like a basic understanding of their HTML and CSS and, and PHP level. Anyone else got any resources that you use to test technical skill before you employ a developer? We've got a couple things that we do. Um, I mean, the first is really obvious. Go look at their GitHub or Bitbucket account. I mean, it's, nobody makes it to actually a conversation without us looking at code. If you're, if you're applying for a development position. Um, so we'll, we'll look at your portfolio, we'll actually look at your code, we'll look at your contributions. I mean, that's the best part about being an open source. If you're active, you're already working in public. Not only do I get to see how you code, I get to see how you talk to people mm. uh, in written format. Like, it's, it's really wonderful. Um, so that's a real starting point. From there, um, like our recruiting process, uh, somebody on the team will have a 10-minute conversation just to make sure they're not a crazy person. <laughs> Sometimes that happens. Uh, if they make it past the crazy person test, um, we'll usually at that point have a real interview, and then we have a trial. And our trial is paid, and it's about a four to six hour worth of work. So it usually takes place over a couple days. And we have a few default ones we use, but honestly, most of the time, we'd rather pick something from an active project if we can, because it's fresh in everybody's mind, and it's relevant and interesting, um, and people feel more engaged. Like what we what we used to have like these just templated test projects, what we found was we're as interested to see how they interact with the team as we are in how they actually code, and that we weren't getting a lot of interaction in the templated projects. So we're still like experimenting with that. Um, how do you have people report on the you know back on the trial project? Like are they is it, do you do it in GitHub and they like actively do it? Do you have them blog about it? Like, what? How do they prove to you, you know, the work that they put in? So, so that's great. So we we have two different. I mean, a few designers have one type. Devs support people have a very different trial process. Um, but for for the devs, since that's what we're talking about, uh, they get a get they get you know access to a repo and get um, and they make commits and they're working with usually these there's three or four other people on that project. And we toss them in Slack into that project for the day. 
We're like, hey, you're working on this. And so that for the couple days they're working, we're watching the conversation. There's usually one technical lead for that project who volunteers and, you know, I mean, they're paid for it, but it is paid for the time to oversee the test. So whenever we run a trial, there's somebody who like, hey, your buddy is going to be, you know, Jonathan, whose birthday today. Happy birthday, Jonathan. Uh, or it's, you know, or, or whoever, you know, if it's the designers, it's one of our art directors or lead designers, um, back-end themers, and sometimes three or four people because the team just likes to be engaged. Like, they know that if, if this goes well, this is somebody they're going to work with. And so they have a lot of impact. In fact, to the point where a lot of the partners have stepped back from this process now, and the team tends to run the trials a lot more. And then if they sort of make it past the team, then we'll have a conversation with them. Alex King, I'm curious, uh, uh, at a more of a, at an enterprise level, how do you? I, I'm I kind of imagine, and it's certainly been our our very limited experience that we've had with the guys at uh, QuickBooks is that it's actually been really easy to pass off a site to those guys because they have resources internally to manage this stuff. Whereas when you're dealing with really small business you're generally dealing with like the owner of the business or their assistant and they just so stretch for time and money and resources whereas we've found dealing with some larger companies that it's training them is actually easier. What's your experience and how do you handle training enterprise level clients? Um, yeah, I think you're right. Um, enterprise uh, clients typically will have a team in place already ready to take ownership of something, um, if that was the plan. Like, you're e either either it's going to be something that they continue to engage a third party on or it's going to be something that they bring in-house and they know that, uh, which it's going to be going in. Um, if, if it's going to be something that they bring in-house, uh, training is going to be something that you've discussed at the beginning of the project. It's going to be, you know, something that's in scope. Um, so, uh, as stuff is being built, there's documentation. Um, we have um, documentation internally of our own internal processes and best practices, and we have that set up in such a way that we can um, turn that over to a client uh, as necessary so that um, they can continue those uh, best practices uh, if they choose to. Um, Things like the way uh, for projects we use uh, GitHub Flow, uh, which is basically a branching model of uh, feature branches that go back into master and master gets deployed. Um, we have uh, our automation tools that make it easy to uh, deploy a site and roll it back. Um, so all of those things are, are documented and handed off. Um, that's on the technical side. On the, uh, the user side, um, it varies site to site, um, but it may be a series of videos, it may be um, annotated screenshots, it may be some written documentation about how various features work. Another thing that we try to do is um, build QA test plans for sites. So as we're working through the project, you know, milestone one, here are the things that we built, here are the things that we test. And if you build that up slowly, you end up with a very robust um, testing document that um, can then be handed off to the client. And it's also kind of a nice way of letting the client know, like, 
hey, I, I know you probably haven't thought about half of this stuff, but here are all the things that we're going through and testing, all these various edge cases and things like that um, that, that we're taking care of uh, for your project, which um, helps them gain a better understanding of what goes into the development process. And uh, my experience has been the, the more everyone is on the same page about what's going on, the easier those client communications are, the easier it is um, when you have to have a conversation about something um, that might otherwise be a little bit difficult. Um, do you, <clears throat> I, you know, I imagine a lot of the freelancers and, and some kind of small teams, client training is, is a big time suck and it's really hard to factor in. It's hard to kind of say to a client, well, we're going to have to spend three hours or four hours training you how to use this thing and then we're gonna, and you're going to have to pay for that training. At a small business level with freelancers, that's a difficult conversation to have. As you get bigger and you have more resources in your team, it's actually easier to manage this because you have more resources and you have clients largely with, with bigger budgets. Are there any ideas for, for how to have that conversation with clients if you're a smaller team or, or you know, the, the expectation that a client says, well, you're building a website on a content management system. Why do I ne then need to pay a couple of hundred bucks for you to teach me how to use it? So well, let me change the, that question just a little bit. Sure. Say, um, just like you have more ex experienced uh, developers and freelancers, you also have more experienced clients. And the more experienced a client is, the more they understand the value of different things. And uh, so I, I think that it's not a small or large client issue, it's a ex uh, client experience issue. On top of that, I, I would add that the conversation for us often goes like this. So we should talk about what happens the day we go live. We should talk about what happens in order to go live, and then we should talk about what happens after we go live. And that conversation encompasses lots of things, training being one of them, but you know, their, their ongoing upgrade plan, do they have any future features? Like there's, this is a conversation of software lifecycle and relationship cycle, which training is just one part of that conversation, and it's not... You know, even if like if you're working with a small yoga studio or somebody who's just building a website, it's not you want me to pay you to train you. It's hey, what's your plan for this thing? And if the plan is I want you to hand me code and walk away, and I I will never call you, that's a great plan. I'm a really big fan of that plan. <laughs> you know, if the plan is I'm going to call you all the time, well then that's okay too. But we need to figure out an arrangement by which you're not going to be disappointed. Mm. Yeah, it's one of the things that uh, we've been fine-tuning is our belief document as an agency and handing a belief document over to a client before we're even talking about specs, deliverables, price, timeline. It's like, here's what we believe in, here's who we are, um, here's the process that we use, and does this sound good to you? Like Shane was just saying, like we look at it as a relationship. Is that cool with you, or are you more like, give me the cheapest thing as fast as possible? Mm. And then we get that sort of understanding out of the way and it's a lengthy process and and we just tell them up front like we're we might not be the right fit for you and that's a good thing for both of us because we don't want to be strangling each other at the end uh, of this engagement um, yeah. so. um, alright let's segue into the next topic of course there is an easy way to handle uh, training uh, end user training and that is just to build a product that's so numpty stupid easy to use that you don't need to train them Tom Wilmot and human mate have done that with happy tables um, and yeah. so <laughs> now, uh, what we're going to talk about now is something that I'm really super passionate about, and this is something that is keeping me awake at night, is 
the and, and Tom, I'll tell you what, instead of me trying to articulate it, why don't you tell us why you suggested this topic and, and what this topic is, in fact. See you, Shane. See you, Shane. Great to chat. Yeah, Thanks I for joining us, buddy. I have to go to everybody. Sorry, Tom. Local I really Matt. wanted to hear this. Yeah, no worries, man. <laughs> no worries, I Matt. think Take it's been recorded, so. Yeah. It is been recorded. <laughs> All right, yeah, guys. Take recording. Bye, Miriam. All right. Hit us, Tom. Okay. So, I mean, I guess I actually, my thinking for this really, and it segues nicely from Alex King's topic, I think, which is that, like, well, I, you know, both sides, of the, both, both sides of this, I think, feed to the same conclusion, but... The, on the pricing side of things, which is, you know, I think a nice segue, um, take, for example, WooCommerce, right? Like, WooCommerce is free. I, I don't know what their average spend for someone who's buying extensions is, but let's say it's like 200 bucks. Um, but what's the average price of, a, say, a small e-commerce site? I'd guess it's 500, 2,000 bucks, something like that. So the slice of the pie that WooCommerce are getting out of that transaction, because they're not selling a WooCommerce, you know, they're not selling a plugin to developers, they're selling an e-commerce solution, which is ultimately going to be used by an end user, right? But they're selling that via this web assembler who builds the actual site and makes a huge amount of profit, makes a massive markup on that plugin, like 10x markup on that plugin. So WooCommerce are leaving a huge amount of money on the table by doing that. And they're, to the end user, providing a, like, they're losing control over the experience that they give that end user because it has to go through a web assembler who may be, like really bad. They may give a really bad experience to that end user. They may portray WooCommerce in a bad light. They may not upsell the extensions in the best possible way. So I, when I think about the future of like the low end, as I call it, or the long tail, which is like the bulk of the WordPress market, these you know small sites under ten thousand dollars, say under five thousand dollars, that are being built by um, freelancers and small agencies, and maybe have a shelf life of two or three years. Um, like a lot of those at the moment are built as a conglomeration of like some something like some hosting, maybe from one of the managed WordPress hosts, some plugins, maybe WooCommerce, maybe Gravity Forms, a, a premium theme, and may, you know maybe they've spent maybe the developers spent a few hundred dollars getting all those things, and then they're putting a big markup on that and selling it on to the consumer. So, you know, for Happy Tables, which um, you know, so obviously, you know, I believe fully that something like Happy Tables is a much better answer to that problem. And we we want to provide restaurants. You know, we want restaurants to use WordPress because we think that's great and we they can have a good experience. Like we could have with Happy Tables, we could have released a restaurant theme, or we could have released some and a menus plugin, right? And we could have charged for both of those. Um, but if we'd have done that, we'd have been that wouldn't have been at all the best solution for restaurant owners. Right, they've still got to find a local web designer, or they've got to be technical enough to know what hosting is and put all that together. So, I mean, I guess I'm not necessarily like I obviously think Happy Tables is definitely the solution there, and I'm like amazed that something like WooCommerce doesn't have a hosted solution that's like Shopify. But because you know, but I obviously think that's the future. But I'm, I was kind of interested to get other people's takes on that, like the, the problems with the current model, which I think we discussed quite a lot when we were talking about the kind of iOS and the uh, commoditization of that market. But you know, that was from the point of view of selling to developers when really, like, Shane isn't, Shane is selling to consumers who need a, uh, an event calendar on their site, right? Like, I need to run events for my business. That's the ultimate customer for something like Events Calendar Pro, even if it ends up going through a developer. So, like, isn't the ultimate solution there some kind of, some way to sell that directly to the people that actually are going to use it? So, uh, the, the thing that occurs to me is... <clears throat> What, you know, won't Automatic just do this? I mean, they're already doing it with restaurants, right? I mean, I'm looking at WordPress.com slash restaurants right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can sign up for an e-commerce 
business word restaurant solution for 300 bucks a year, right? Won't I mean, does it a did that make you nervous when you launched Happy Tables to go head to head with Automatic, or you know, will, will this kind of activity from Automatic keep people out of this space? Do you think? Hmm. So I mean, Happy Tables was around a long time before WordPress.com launched their slash restaurants thingy. Um, <laughs> just to be clear on that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I like the way you refer to it as their slash restaurants thingy. <laughs> um, you know, I'm sure it's great. The um, like to be honest, we it didn't we didn't we weren't hugely worried about it because the thing that makes Happy Tables good is that it's focused 100% on solving the problems restaurants have, right? And WordPress.com isn't. It's focused on solving the problems of, for all the verticals they um, support. So I know that we can provide a much better user experience because Happy Tables only does that. So that, like, I think that would event that will eventually win out. Um, user experience is all that matters in these things, right? Like the, the person using the site needs to find that pleasurable. If they do, you're winning. And I, we, I know we can provide a better user experience. I think this is really timely too. And I want sorry, sorry Alex, I'll, I'll come to you in a second. I think this is really timely too. Uh, yesterday, Envato. You know, Envato have these giveaways where they have Envato's Most Wanted. They give away cash prizes to encourage developers to build things where there is currently an undersupply and an over-demand. Their current Most Wanted is micro-niche themes. So they are realising now with the millions of users that they have and millions of visits they get, they realise that there are people searching for, for example, legal WordPress themes and the supply is just not matching the demand. So they've put 10 grand up as a cash prize split amongst different um, winners to encourage developers to build micro-niche themes. So I actually think the timing here is uh, really good that we're having this conversation. Alex? Yeah, the, I, I, I agree with Tom that um, you know, the, the overall experience of a verticalized solution is going to be a lot better than, um, you know, here's a generic platform, here's some things that you can turn on to turn it into something resembling what you would get in this vertical. However, the uh, things only have to get so good if they're also free, right? Uh, get, getting back to our, our monetization mm -hmm. stuff, right? Um, you know, if, if you're getting undercut by... 70%, then, you know, pretty soon people are like, well, we like that a lot better, but can't really justify the difference in cost, right? So, um, yes, I, I agree with you. I think that, that um, I, I think more people should be doing exactly what you're doing with Happy Tables, um, but uh, I, I wouldn't uh, discount uh, the the WordPress.com offerings uh, completely. No, sure, and it would be um, incredibly short-sighted of me to do that for sure. I, was, I you know, I was being a bit glib about them. Um, I, th I mean, I, I think that that's true, and f you know, especially when someone as large as Automatic who can afford to just make you know um, a really good restaurant platform and release it for free. Um, you know, they could afford to do that like, if they wanted to, or, or some VC-backed company could afford to come in and, and put far more resources than we've put into Happy Tables. Um, I think that if you are doing that generically, though, the platform like Squarespace is a pretty good example of that. Mm -hmm. You know, they, um, 
putting even more resources into it than automatic are probably, um, mm -hmm. and um, have an incredibly slick system. But even they are not, you know, provide a much worse experience to restaurant owners, say, of something like Happy Tables. And so I think that I think that like you're right, it does have to be better. But I don't think that it's that that difficult to be much better if you are totally just focused on that niche, right? Like especially with something like restaurants, where a lot of the feature set that matches that matters are things like partnerships, right? Like partnering with online ordering companies, and those partnerships just take a lot of investment to set up. So it's, mm -hmm. if you're a generic platform and you want to have a hundred verticals, incredibly difficult to go and set up partnerships across all those mm -hmm. hundred verticals. Um, you know, incredibly difficult to provide targeted support across all those verticals. Yeah, you should also um, get kind of a head start and where trends are going and things like that because you're embedded right there with those um, customers. You can provide better support for them because you understand their business better. You're not trying to provide support across all those other uh, generic platforms. I agree. And like ultimately, I think the difference that Happy Tables should have is that Happy Tables is like helping you run your restaurant business. Whereas Squarespace or Webs.com is helping you run your website, right? Like at Happy Tales, we actually understand the industry. We can provide tools that go far beyond the website because we understand the industry. Miriam, do you find yourself um, building essentially, you know, very similar solutions for clients over time? And have you thought, you know, wow, we could take this solution that we're building and kind of chunk it into modules and offer it as a hosted kind of vending machine DIY solution, for want of a better term, in a similar way that uh, that, that human might have done for Happy Tables. So as we're developing things, we definitely develop custom functionality that we think, okay, we should do something with this. Most of the time, we think we should release it as a free plugin, and fortunately, we don't get around to that. But we recently developed something for a client that um, I really think <laughs> that we should get around to repackaging it and selling it um, on a larger scale. Um, and I even mentioned it at one point on a, a Stack Exchange thread, like it's like deep down in there, and I have people writing to me going, "So did you develop it?" So I think that there's a, a market interest in it. Uh, it has, it's a type of communication. I don't even want to get into it too much at this point. Uh, but one of the things that's holding me back, and I, I really need to get over it, I think, and maybe you guys can help me with that, is um, servers. It would be a hosted solution, right? And, uh, and it actually, because of communication, there's a lot that happens per site for sure, and particularly the community grows. And uh, servers freak me out. <laughs> Well, I, I, I think that's a healthy fear. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, it's just a, a very different. I mean, we, we used to have a, a hosting business um, as well, and you know, the twenty-four-seven operations team that you need to do something like that is very different than the kind of you know nine to five or ten to seven or whatever it is um, uh, expectations of a, a developer in a services company. Yeah, so there's that, and then there's also um, server resources and managing that. I mean, WordPress uh, Automatic has um, Barry Abramson, right? I mean, that's his job. It's just to make sure that everything is running as smoothly and as efficiently as possible. And um, it's just I, just, I don't know how you guys do it. Meaning, I know we would obviously need someone who's a 
server expert. But um, anyway, that's that's my biggest hesitation: getting into that whole server, yes, twenty four seven, keep everything running, being able to scale. That's just my biggest hesitation. Tom, but, uh, perhaps you can help there. What, what, you know, from an infrastructure point of view, Miriam's got some real concerns um, that's stopping her maybe getting into that space. And I'm sure everyone listening and watching this has, I mean, we have the same concerns thinking about yeah, hosting sure. software solutions. My business partner just gets a headache when I start talking to him about it. Um, what, you know, how do you, and from a lean point of view, how do you skin that cat without, you know, going and setting up your own data center? So, we probably wouldn't have done happy tables had we have been fearful of servers, honestly. Like, we do, we, we are good at server stuff, and that was why it was easy to do something like happy tables. It's like an obvious step for us to host it, because we already have that. Um, but honestly, especially these days, servers are not hard, right? Like Amazon, cloud services, that stuff's pretty easy. It scales, it's cheap. It's not that difficult to get something running that's surprisingly cheap that's going to scale to, you know, like thousands of people having sites on it, which, frankly, at that point, um, you know, Good problem to have. You can just hire somebody to do it properly. That's true. Um, also, you know, you can just partner with a host. Um, you know, especially um, if it's, um, you know, there's like some kind of cross uh, uh, promotional partnership opportunity. You know, Happy Table could be hosted on one of the managed hosts, say, and it could have a little thing that says "powered by." Um, I'm sure most of them will be open to that. Um, so I, yeah, you know, I think you can just partner with someone who does get it. But I wouldn't be too afraid of doing it yourself. Like it's, it is. We have come a long way since the days where you had to get a dedicated server and like SSH in and install Linux. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, Alex, you got any ideas on, on you know, talking about trends and, um, you know, let's get out the uh, the Alex King crystal ball, or let's ask the stormtrooper over your over your right shoulder what he thinks. Um, <laughs> just wanted to call out the stormtrooper, by the way, and invite him into the conversation. What do you think the the obvious kind of industries or niches are for? Like, if you were to, if if I came to you and said, "Listen, I got a lot of money, and I want you guys to build me the next happy tables," what industry would you suggest that we start looking at, or what problem do you think that we would start looking at trying to solve? Uh, yeah, I don't like going about business that way. I, if the solution isn't obvious to me, like I, I don't, I don't go looking for a problem to solve. Like there are enough problems that we see all around us every day that you, know, if you're paying attention, like oh, I could do that better. I could do that better. I mean, pick one of those. Um, you, you don't need to. Hey, there's, there's certainly, you know, you can go, you can do the market research, you can. You know, evaluate competition and potential, and all of that stuff. Uh, it's kind of a soulless way to do, run a business, in my opinion. I mean, the great products are made by passionate people, and if you're building something that that you really care about, um, I think that you're going to be a lot more successful. Hmm. Good answer. I agree with that. I, I can't argue with that. Anything, uh, <laughs> uh, Tom or Miriam? Anything obvious? Any low-hanging fruit that you guys see? Well, you know, this is a problem that we would like to solve in the kind of hosted WordPress solution space. So, I think it's an obvious place for the WordPress hosts to go. Like, they are one step in that direction. And mm. they're, they're matching WordPress software with hosting, at least. Like, the next step for them is probably like when you sign up to. Um, I'll pick, you know, Pan, you sign up to Pantheon, you get your WordPress site, like, 
they start asking you what kind of site it is and suggest some themes. And then maybe they start asking you, maybe they start suggesting like some plugins. And slowly but surely they end up with some small set of verticals that they're kind of supporting. Like I wouldn't be surprised if hosts start doing that. Um, you know, it, it seems like a natural next step for them, which is for all intents and purposes a pretty similar thing. It, I would never do one of these verticals without, like, like you know, like Alex said, I'd, without someone who was passionate about the industry and knew the industry. Because honestly, building something like Happy Tables isn't the hard bit. The hard bit is working out like actually what restaurant owners want and getting it in front of them. They're the two difficult things, and you need distribution credentials within the restaurant industry or within the hairdressers or whatever you decide to choose. And you need someone who even understands what the problems are in hairdressing to be able to build a solution that like solves those problems. So looking at Obox Instant, which is an example that you gave, um, and I'm you know a big fan of Obox Themes and Obox Mobile and some of the solutions these guys put out, Obox Instant looks like a generic hosted website solution for your business. So it's not niche specific. Any small business can come and set up a website for $49 a month. It's built on WordPress. You get a theme. Uh, you can add whatever plugins you like. Uh, you know, it's got WooCommerce baked into it. Uh, you know, testimonials, portfolios baked into it. All the cool stuff that we know and love about WordPress. Do you think this is? Uh, do you think this kind of generic solution is what is you know is is a, is a good idea, or do you think they should? get more specific about the industry that they're targeting because the thing is when you try and when you try and talk to a lot we've found over the years is when you try and talk to a large audience of people if you try and please everyone you end up just pleasing nobody because you end up talking in such generic broad brushstrokes that you don't actually resonate with anyone so I'm curious as to the decision that they've made to go down this 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 road and I, I and I don't know I have no idea if they're successful or if you know if the whole thing's I have no idea how they're going but I'm curious as to whether we're going to see more of this or do you think we need to get more specific in terms of the niches that we target um so yeah I think this is the natural next step for theme companies like the it cuts out a step for the consumer, right? At the moment, I have to go to WooCommerce. Uh, sorry, Woo Themes. I buy a theme, I download it, I get hosting, I upload the theme. Lots of steps there. You can remove most of those steps and just create a, um, you know, one click. I've got hosting. So that seems like a natural next step that sort of like makes the whole process a lot less frictional for the user who's buying it. In terms of being niche, um, like a lot of people do set up generic websites, especially at the low end where they're buying themes in the first place. So you, I don't necessarily think you need to go super niche. You can go If you're going to go super niche, you can probably charge more. Um, and also, I guess, like, theme companies do still all, you know, they might have 200 themes, but each of those themes is probably uh, fairly niche. So, um, I, like, the hosting plus a theme is doesn't necessarily need to be that specific. Like, that covers most use cases. So I think it's a step in the right direction. I think the next step would be even more um, tailored for sure. But I think it's a good step. I don't know why every theme company doesn't do this. Alex, well, I mean, I was you know talking to Rebecca Gill from Web Savvy Marketing at WordCamp Chicago and her theme shop. She gave this great presentation on building a theme business. Her theme shop, when she first launched it, was doing okay. She said she was you know doing two or three thousand dollars a month in theme sales, which hey you know it's nothing to sneeze at. But she said when she started focusing on, you know, um, the first one she launched was a theme for parent-teacher organizations, PTA theme, 
Parent Teacher Association, and it went nuts because it solved a very specific problem and spoke to a very specific audience. Now she's got themes for lawyers and accountants, and each theme she she only launches a theme if she knows that she can get organic traffic. She does keyword research, works out where there's a need, and goes and fills that need. So that's an obvious next step for her is to bundle for that kind of business is to bundle hosting with it and provide a full end-to-end -end solution. Alex, I'm curious as to and and Tom, I'm curious as to what we can learn from enterprise level clients about providing end-to-end -end solutions. Like what what are the obvious things that you need to have in an end-to-end -end solution to keep the client happy? Um, you mean like packaging the uh, the development with a hosting solution or something like that? Yeah. Uh, enterprise, I'm going to say enterprise clients don't typically want that. Um, they often have various bits of infrastructure and technology that they want to leverage. Uh, maybe they, you know, this is probably not the only website that they have. Uh, they have an existing hosting relationship somewhere that and they want uh, this site added to that cluster, managed by those same resources, etc. Um, they want one person to call when um, when there's sites uh, something's wrong with the site, and if that's an internal team, that's going to be an internal team. Um, there certainly are, you know, just like there are uh, enterprise customers that decide that you know uh, this property is going to always be or for the foreseeable future going to be managed by a third party, um, like those I could uh, I, I could see wanting hosting packaged in a little bit more. Um, but they, I think the thing in working with enterprise clients is just that um, working with a larger entity, there's more people involved um, on their side and on your side, and uh, so certain things that are um, you know, simpler when there are fewer people involved get, naturally get more complicated when there's more people involved. And uh, So I think that uh, some of the reasons why these hosted solutions um, are, are the, you know, the full solution is so appealing to small businesses is because they don't have an IT department. They don't have, um, you know, the technical resources in-house to, um, so they don't really necessarily know how to approach the problem. It's, it's not even, they don't know how to solve it. They, they don't know the right questions to ask. Um, and so uh, an out-of-the-box solution to them um, takes care of the whole thing, right? Yeah. And do you, do you think that WordPress VIP or, or WordPress dot Maybe we lost Troy. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if it was just me. Um, okay, well, I'll come in on that. So my, yeah, I mean, I think I quite mostly agree with you on the enterprise side of things. Like, my experience with enterprises is, is that they like to think that their needs are unique, and so they like to think that they're paying you, you know, lots of money to uh, customize whatever they're purchasing for their needs because they're a special, uh, you know, special enterprise, special big business. And then, you know, no one else has their needs. The way they do things are unique. So I do think they do like to buy products. Like WordPress VIP is proof of that, I think. Like it's a kind of productized version of WordPress as a 
publishing CMS, you know, hosted. Um, and I, I think that enterprise product is a really interesting topic that we didn't really cover that deeply last time, but like mostly what we're doing at the moment in the WordPress space is just like consulting for enterprise, like build us this custom thing. They're not really buying a product. Some of them think, think they're buying WordPress, I guess, but you know that in practice, all they're doing is paying us um, consulting fees. And I, I do wonder whether the future of, of that is, isn't that it's going to become more productized so that, you know, whether there's like a WordPress for enterprise or a WordPress flavor for newsrooms that is a, you know, a collection of, of plugins and themes and hosting and WordPress and just your experience that's like packaged up and sold to them. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure that most of the money would still be made from you customizing that to each of the special needs. But I think that I think enterprise do like to feel like they're actually purchasing something like that with like a feature list that they can see that, oh yeah, we want all those things, that makes us feel good. Um, well, they have different um, requirements for various things too, like uh, yeah. here in, in the US, like uh, SEC reporting requirements and things like that, accounting regulations um, that small businesses don't have to worry about. Um, but you're, I, I think you're exactly right in terms of the kind of the services model on top of a base product. I spent five years um, in enterprise software before, uh, you know, starting my WordPress career, and uh, you know, all of the big players there. There are base packages, and then there are huge consulting budgets to customize those base packages. And you, you're right; it's exactly what we do with WordPress, where we say, "Here's a base feature set. Here are the additional features you need, and here are how we're going to bridge that gap and give you a, a solution that hits all of those tick marks. Hmm. Is, is your experience similar, Miriam, of, with, with that? Yeah, so what I see with the, our, our enterprise-level clients, in Israel enterprise is much smaller than, let's say, in the States, but um, they're definitely different than the other types of businesses that we work with. Now that you're saying that, I'm thinking, okay, every single one of them wants the following. Integration with Salesforce, marketing yeah. automation software, whether it's Marketo or one that keeps coming up, it's called Acton, things like that. Lead generation, they want us to advise them strategically. Downloading of white papers, adding them to mailing lists, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, data, they want analytics, not just, you know, not just Google Analytics, something more robust. Um, there's definitely oh, a newsroom, investor relations, like as I'm thinking about, like this is what they all want and like you said, they all think they're unique. <laughs> but they all, it's really, a, it's like a shopping list of what enterprise uh, level clients want on their site and it probably could be productized. Yeah. I feel like often our clients make the decision to go with us because you know, they've read a case study that says we did Marketo before. And so they're like, oh, this company know how to do Marketo on WordPress, right? And so they, you know, oh, or we've got a product, a Marketo WordPress product that we can sell. Right. And often that will be like the, you know, they're kind of coming from this weird angle and we're like, well, we can build anything for you. I mean, yeah, sure, we did Marketo for these right. guys, but that's not like a special thing we sell. Um, totally. Yeah. You know what's missing, though, that keeps coming up? Two-way um, communication between a site and Salesforce. Oh. Uh, Yep. That would be something that could be productized and reused because clients need, you know, they have users here, they have users there. If their user level here changes, their access, their clients' access to the site needs to change, right? Uh, their permission level, um, things like that. So that's something that's missing there. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's, you know, a, a really interesting kind of discussion topic. The kind of yeah. 
how in a moment I think VIP is really the only enterprise product in the WordPress space. Um, yeah, so, but if you look at the sites that are there, aren't they mostly like uh, I don't know, like TechCrunch or like big publishers? Yeah, they're publishing. I mean, it's a it's a product aimed at like big publishing for sure. Right, but like a business, it's not necessarily the right solution for them. I need a business site. I think the, the, uh, the Salesforce example there is uh, a perfect example of the complexity uh, because, you know, Salesforce installations are often unrecognizable from each other. Like, like yeah, oh, yeah, I know how to use Salesforce. And then you, you right. see another one, you're like, oh, what is that? Right? <laughs> <laughs> Everything's set up differently. So yeah. Yeah, it sounds simple to say, oh yeah, we'll just build something that has a two-way, you know, bridge between WordPress and Salesforce. Well, you know, where are you going to make the decisions about how things are configured? Right. It's that's the uh, that's the enterprise market. Yeah, that's true. Welcome back, Troy. Yeah, nice to have you. You know, that's a little embarrassing. I was halfway through a question and both screens just went black and the Mac just died. So uh, anyway, I hope I didn't miss anything too riveting. Um, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm back just in time to wrap up. <laughs> nice. Um, let me just, just you guys, just keep talking amongst yourselves because I just want to check in with the chat chat widget before we uh, wrap up. That's always the point. Somebody, say, can think of anything somebody say. say something <laughs> profound, yeah. please. So Salesforce, it's a thing. So yeah. Um, uh, to okay, to wrap that point up, I think that the the solution there is that you know what enterprise think they're buying is a Salesforce product, but what you're really selling them is consulting to build whatever Salesforce product they actually want. But, you know, it, it, that's the distinction. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But if we could just keep that up between ourselves, that would be good. <laughs> yeah, it's a private uh, did, uh, did anyone get Jave's comment about GovPress? Did I, have I missed that? Ooh. No. So Jave said in the chat widget, a GovPress type solution has been mentioned a lot around the place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it, I, it, same thing. I would imagine that in reality, what that is is a consulting company. But you know, saying yeah. you've got GovPress probably puts you at the top of all the other consulting companies for government works. Yeah. Um, the question I was about to ask, and you, you may have answered this, you may have answered this while I died. But the question I was about to ask is, does anyone know if Automatic is making active moves into this space where they're setting up, you know, enterprise kind of vertical solutions outside the restaurant space? Are they doing this kind of at scale for a whole bunch of other verticals? Do we know? I mean, there are a load of other verticals other than, than, than restaurants, music and food and cities and councils. I don't know. There's, there's right. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I haven't seen much recently. They released most of them a long time ago. I haven't released any recently. Um, right. So, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't have any inside knowledge on that. Okay. Any parting uh, final comments from anyone? No. <laughs> Excellent. Well, hey, I want to thank you all very much for uh, joining me again on WP Think Tank number three. Uh, uh, you should have figured out by now this is a quarterly event. We do it in the middle month of each quarter, so the next one will be in November. will be the last one for this year. Um, again, thank you guys for joining me. I'm humbled and honoured that you uh, choose to give up so much of your time to have this conversation. I think the conversation is worth having. Uh, our audience seemed to feel the same way, so hopefully we can do this again uh, in three months' time. Um, uh, 
Check out everything you need to know at wpthinktank.com and you can subscribe to the Think Tank list to get updates about when this is happening again. So, uh, hey guys, all, all the best. I'm off to Thailand tomorrow for a three-day mastermind group with our customers, which I'm looking forward to, and then I'm going to hang on the beach, wow. read a book, drink beer, and get a suntan, which I can't wait for. <laughs> so, um, awesome. yeah. So, hey guys, thanks again, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Uh, until then, happy pressing of words. It's been a pleasure, guys. See you next time. Thank you.